Victoria Mi Oh no, sorry. Hello. <laughs> Who are I thought you I was here on my own. <laughs> Hello there, I'm Ben Ando and I'm a former BBC News correspondent, crime reporter, an all-round bad egg. <laughs> Here's good egg, goody eggy, Victoria Mitzi, journalist, mother, countryside dweller, city slicker originally, and trained dance instructor. The chance to dance. <laughs> you love it. You, you, you like to do leggings? puns out of that one. Have you got some leg warmers? I do have leg warmers. Woolly leggings are slightly different from their bit, sort of like 1910. I think woolly, I think um, French and the Saunders called them woolly jazz pants. <laughs> I'd like some of them. They did a song and dance routine that went, give me the chance in my woolly daz pants to dance and sing you a song. I loved French and Saunders. They were good, weren't they? they oh, Ben, are, I've got something to update you on. Oh, oh, go on, I'm itching to know. By the time that this podcast... Actually, I might cut this out. By the time that this podcast goes to air, I wonder if we'll have sponsors. <gasps> oh, my God. Is this a hair product? That's what I, I need. Threatened, I threatened you people. I told you you'd have to listen. <laughs> the big red building on Golders Green Road. I told you, and now you've done it because none of you were nice enough to give us enough reviews. You went and done it. You only went and done it. You went and destroyed it all. Well, I've, get this. I've applied for it. Hey, get this. I'm getting and it. Our, our application to a hair, comp uh, hair product company is solely based on your lack of hair. <laughs> <laughs> and the humour in it. I have got hair. I've got lots of hair. It's just not on my head. Well, I did say, would that be of any interest? Could he wash the other bits with the other products you do? <laughs> Do they do beard oil? Oh, do you need that? No, but I mean, it's a product I can imagine invent, they invent. I mean... Does a with... lady love a well-oiled beard? I don't know, you tell me. You're a lady. Oh, hold on. This lady's got to shut the louvre. Hold on. I'm not a lady. What are you, a woman? I may I'm not be a lady, but I'm woman. all woman. I, that's, that's the lyric, isn't it? I may not be a lady, but I'm all woman. I am a bit of a skank, but I'm all woman. <laughs> oh, right. Is okay, what we get? Word you can use. I don't know. Is skank an offensive word? Uh, you can also skank in a reggae sense of the word. I think easy skanking. What? Is that while you're standing at the back playing the triangle and ting? <laughs> you're so middle class, Ben. I am very middle class. It's true. <laughs> middle class, middle aged, middle income, middle everything. Slap bang in the middle, middle of the road. What other middles are there? I can't think of anything middle and insulting that I can call you. Um, middle wicket. You fair know to middling. Maybe, yeah. Fair to I'm fair to middling. Fair middle to section. Is that where you are <laughs> anyway, with your triangle hunting? You haven't. Have, you know, you've, hang on, we've both introduced ourselves, so I think it's time to go, isn't it? It's time to get on with it. Time to yes. get cracking. What have we Let's got today? Let's get this podo on the rodo. Um, well, are I you on fire? About, <laughs> I want to talk about um, a guy who's not on fire, but who was... Um, <laughs> Rieli Franciscato is his name. The, the photo I could see of him shows him wearing a rather fetching, if somewhat oversized, life jacket. That's the same photo I'm looking at. Google him, it's <laughs> R-I-E-L-I-F-R-A-N-C-I-S-C-A-T-O. Nothing Quite a name to spell out, Hang on. let me tell you. Nothing is more boring than somebody spelling out someone's name. Oh, no, do you know what's better? dot. Oh, God, yeah, that is really boring. <laughs> Everyone anyway. all over local radio. Oh, can you give out the website of your really boring charity thing? Oh, give me half an hour. dot. <laughs> <laughs> right, um, and what happened to this chap? No, hang on, we'll talk about this amazing thing after we give an intro to what we're going to talk about let's call him oh, yeah, okay, arrow man should we call him arrow okay. man well that's kind of given it away but Has okay it? go on have then. i got to the point there <laughs> a boom boom you merry quipper you um, shafted us we're talking bad debt today aren't we and what happens if you well, get well, into that situation if we get to it we're going to talk about what became of a very bad debt um, that ends gonna, in death I, I, the most exciting i mean we've got a really exciting interview with your chum richard my chum and a friend, friend to the media, really. He played down his punditry. If you've seen those things where people sit around talking, you know... Um, is you it know like a TED kind of... talk or something? Well, he is the person, the brain behind the BT commercials. He's got an ology, what, that one. The, yes, the, 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 the that Jewish was him. mother? Yes. He's... Oh, so Richard's got an ology. Right. 
<laughs> he, counts, he counts Maureen Lippmann as one of his close personal friends. He does, actually. Oh, good. There you go. Oh, all potential guests. I can see tick, 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 tick. Potential oh, guest. Maureen, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> Maureen. But anyway, when, you, when you see those co- pundit programmes, you've probably seen good old Richard punditing about advertising because he was quite brilliant. And he's written a book called A Polaroid of Peggy. And it's okay. really good. I've read it. It's That's a fiction a book. Title. I like his title. Is it a thriller? Is it a novel? Is it a factual book? It's a fiction. Okay. All right. Hmm. Well, way, way to go, Richard. So we, well, we're talking to Richard, hearing well, from him. Well, as you can tell, he's, he's a man of many talents. And, yeah, and um, a very interesting one at that. And he tells us about his ancestor who was executed, burnt alive, in fact, because of his faith. Well, w- way to kill the punchline every time. Can you say that again? Because I wheezed. <laughs> Old woman wheezing. Um, Wheezy whether, Mitzi. Well, what I'm interested in hearing from Richard about is his ancestor, who from several hundred years ago met a very sticky end, and we'll come to that later. But there the are also thing... some famous ancestors that we know from today, and they're celebrity ancestors, so we'll reveal them <laughs> after. Celebrity ancestors. The other thing I'm really excited about is we're doing I'm our sorry, first ever review. I'm sorry, can I say one? Can, can I say one? Go on, say one. Dot Cotton. Dot Cotton. <laughs> <laughs> what, Doc Cotton out of Line of Duty or Doc Cotton out of EastEnders? EastEnders. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. I love the way that a fictional character was named after a fictional character in that. Um, anyway, <laughs> we're, um, the other thing we're doing, which is talking of fictional characters, we're talking yeah. completely non-fiction, um, but a dramatisation. We're doing our first ever programme review, and we're going to have a little review, a reviewette, if you will, of the um, the Dennis Nielsen um, kind of dramatisation well, um, don't you ITV. mean that we're just going to talk rubbish about yes, it as okay, usual well, okay all right if, come on you come will. on let's be a bit more honest can i tell you also i've got an exclusive before we get to arrow man oh god is this going to be lame exclusives go on no we're catching up with connie huck on the podcast radio video watches tally uh, is that the connie huck that you said makes you want to chuck <laughs> did i say that no you no, said you that you said you said it rhymes with <laughs> duck <laughs> chuck and muck <laughs> do you know who oh, connie huck is these nicknames really suck <laughs> do you know who connie huck is Yes, I th- didn't she used to present Blue Peeper? Blue, blue Peeper? Blue, <laughs> blue <laughs> I think she used to present Blue Peeper. Peeping Blue, you mean? <laughs> that Peeping changes con. the. Ch- <laughs> she also is... used to go out with Richard Bacon, broadcaster, I think. Oh, Richard the... Bacon, he's, very, he's really funny, and I know his dad. I love his Richard dad's a Bacon. His dad is a solicitor. I worked on his programme. Richard Delbert, no bacon. Uh, <laughs> this is all, all hucked up. I, I have to tell you a very um, mitzy story. Oh, I, I've been sitting next to Richard Bacon working on his programme at five, five Live as it was then. Sorry, I'm just yeah. going to cough. <clears throat> and he went past me in the corridor at Five Live. And I presumed, because he'd sat next to me, that he would know who I was. So when he walked by, this isn't the first time I've done this. I raised my hand and gave him a big hi. <laughs> and he just looked confused. <laughs> but did you but did you interact with him and talk to him when you were sat next to him or you just no, put your head no. down? i was a lowly like research person so i didn't i just sat there tapping on my keyboard but of course i presume that richard bacon knows me oh god so of course i felt spurned when but i followed if you, if you sat next to somebody normally you introduce yourself to them don't you i know i do say hello i'm so and so who are you well that's chat. how come you're the daddy and mentor of all young journalists at the bbc what through just simply being friendly and pleasant yeah yeah i don't think and if you're under pressure on a story you don't I'm never under pressure on a story. Come on, it's only no. Time. That's true. That's true. If you if you really had to get a computer to order a pair of shoes, I've never seen that done <laughs> on the correspondent desk at the BBC. By the way, I know who you think orders the most shoes. <laughs> the most the largest, shoes. The, the person with the largest feet, <laughs> with the least ability to find their size. <laughs> <laughs> Those are large shoes to fill, though. Come on. <laughs> they are very big shoes to fill. Especially when they come marching towards you and you're only allowed to look down at the shoes when they tell you to get out of their seat. <laughs> as as glamorous news lady knows, 
She's had what the I same thing. Did I feed that back to you? No. My, can you see? My bitterness provides a whole link, <laughs> doesn't it? And you're like, oh, let's yeah. get her off this topic. And I'm like, the no, no, there's people, another story. People have heard this story so many times. <laughs> yes, but everybody's got one, you see? Yeah, but you've got the same one again and again and again. Oh, stop picking up wagons. <laughs> <laughs> right then, come on, let's talk about Rayleigh Franciscato. Yes, and his big his orange big jacket. <laughs> his big orange jacket, which clearly didn't protect him. Oh, yeah, the, he probably should have been wearing that. If he'd been wearing that, he might still be alive. Well, maybe it's because he was wearing that that they thought he was something scary when he approached natives in the Amazon jungle. So I think we need to set the scene. So he was in a remote area of Brazil, um, in a remote corner of Rodonia State, which is in northwestern Brazil, in the huge, massive, massive um, Amazon Delta area. And, and dwindling. He, and Well, it's dwindling, but it's still absolutely massive. Amazing, um, yeah. He, his, his job, his, um, I don't know, vocation maybe, was he had founded um, an NGO, a non-governmental organisation, um, called Fun Eye, F-U-N-A-I. I'm going to call it Fun Eye, but I think he probably called it Funai. Funai. Um, and he, the Fundação Nacional do Indial. Fun Eye. Anyway, this. Um, hey Ben, this, this... Ben, are we having Fundação? <laughs> Lots of Fundação. This 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 agency. Their job was to kind of monitor um, indigenous tribes in the Amazon, many of whom, there are estimated to be around 100 different tribes that have never had contact with the outside world. My goodness. So, so and, and for some reason he was, I mean, I think these ones were ones he had actually, this indigenous group he had, um, or had had contact with sort of, if you like, wider civilization before. But he and his party were approaching them, possibly wearing this massive orange life jacket that would probably terrified <laughs> them. Um, anyway, there were, and, and apparently a hunting party of five of these tribes people um, opened fire with arrows. And a policeman who witnessed the incident said um, that Mr Franciscato was hit by an arrow in the chest just above the heart. And the policeman said um, he managed to remove the arrow. He said, and this is his quote, he cried out, pulled the arrow from his chest, ran 50 metres and collapsed, lifeless. <laughs> wow. That's very, some very specific sort of things there, that he actually ran 50 metres. I mean, Yes, but all he... the news reports are saying about that and they're not giving any suggestion as to why that would be the case. Maybe it's your last shot of adrenaline, literally. Yeah, possibly. I don't know. But this strange things uh, happen before you die, while you're dying. This this group, this tribe, um, apparently is normally peaceful, but there were the, 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 in this case they encountered these five armed men, which was they describe as a war party. It isn't immediately clear, other than possibly they were terrified of this orange jacket, why um, the uh, tribe who had previously been peaceful and had interacted apparently with these um, this group trying to support them. Um, decided to um, to kill them, but there's been a lot of conflict. And um, I mean, the the wider picture here is that the um, the government of, of President Bolsonaro in Brazil um, took office uh, last year and has talked about redeveloping large parts of the Amazon, turning a blind eye to uh, illegal mining, farming, logging, and and a lot of these um, tribes <laughs> considered to be their ancestral <laughs> lands. Um, the logging, obviously, is, is, is the biggest No logging in the jungle, everyone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the thing is, I mean, most, to be fair, I, I think you, you've got to realise that the, the loggers don't leave logs there. They tend to remove logs. That's what they do. It's a different right. type okay. of logging to what you're thinking of. <laughs> sort of British <laughs> camping logging. It, it, well, it's not, the, it's, it's not the kind of log that you might leave behind. <laughs> Someone, someone asked me the other day if I knew log. what a, someone asked me the other day if I knew what a floater was, and they just lost <laughs> me after that. I, they meant the visual <laughs> ones, and of course I descended in some sad soliloquy about. Have, 
<laughs> Talking of floaters, have you seen those loggers who sort of put logs of wood in the water and then kind of steer them and, and sort of sail no. them down? They have these. You have these sort of like long kind of um, I don't know fields of sort of these logs lying in the water and they all move together and these sort of these loggers kind of almost like steer these logs into sort of one sort of massive mass. It gives poo mass. sticks a whole new dimension. <laughs> it does. <laughs> Back to the Uru Oi Wow Wow tribe. Ah, yes. I just had to say that. Can you say it? <laughs> say the tribe's name, Ben. Say the tribe's name. Say my name. Say my name. <laughs> no, the tribe's name. It's much funnier. Have you, th- have you got it there? I'm the- not trying to find it. <laughs> Uru, like oi, a... wow, wow. Hang on. I, I, I did see it earlier, so I know it's in here anyway, somewhere. Anyway, there are two possible theories. I'll, I'll get on with this story, even if you're not. I'm trying to distract you with all scatology. No, hang on. It was the Kautario River isolated group. Oh, it's Uru, oi, wow, wow, territory. That's the territory. Oh, the territory is the Una Oi Wei Wei. Yeah, and um, the this tribe might have mistaken Rieli, um, who's actually a, an ally of the tribal peoples, um, for one of the many enemies, as you say, perhaps connected to Bolsonaro. I think it's Uru O. No, Uru is U R U hyphen E U hyphen W A U hyphen W A U. There's not a lot of different. Is that the tribe there, or the territory? Because probably... it says territory. No, where it's I'm a, it's, I think it's like a kind of a group. The Uru U. Wow, 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 wow. <laughs> I need wow, like wow, wow. Wow, wow, wow. I like it. I love it. It's a great name. But I mean, maybe, maybe, and this is going to sound terrible, maybe um, all outsiders look the same to them. Well, yes. I mean, clearly, I, if they thought he was a friend, they probably wouldn't have done it. But at the same time, um, apparently, they find it very difficult, and possibly for the reason that you're mentioning, to differentiate between friend and foe. The thing is, I mean, I think these things... OK, put yourself in the mindset of these people. They are a small indigenous well, tribe. Well, I am sitting here in my pants, I mean, so I, that should be quite they, easy. If they're a small indigenous tribe, are they not massively inbred? I don't know. I mean, how big yeah. is the tribe? And how, how, what, how many people do you have to have in a tribe to avoid having issues around inbreeding? But in any event, let's say there's, I don't know, 500 people in this tribe, just for the sake of argument. Well, if they've not and, met outside people, then they would have to be inbred to survive. But that's right, but but obviously, you know, without the genetical difficulties that you get with um, extreme inbreeding, I mean, one of the reasons that, you know, incest is a crime is because, what well, it's frowned on, is because it leads to genetic abnormality, as we know. Anyway. I love so the fact to... that you you lessened the charge of incest. Well, frowned on. Well, I'm not sure if it is actually a crime. Is it a crime? It is a crime, yes. Are you sure? Yes. I mean, I'm pretty sure it used to be a crime. Here comes, more of a here sub- comes Google. Okay. Is oh no, am I allowed to do this? What allowed to do what? Ah, oh, glamorous news lady, friend of the podcast, tells me that nobody would like to see her internet search history. <laughs> that just <laughs> reminded me, and I've got something else from her actually about Death Mask, the title of our last oh, pod- yeah, we're going to talk episode. About um, anyway, is just... incest a crime? The law against incest is not a law against procreation. Siblings who are not able to have children are still banned from having sex. Then there's the damage that incest may cause to the structure of the family unit. So it is a crime. Hmm. Okay. Cool. Fine. We've sorted that out. Um, but let's get getting back to um, Rayleigh. Oh, it so, is illegal. Yes. Yeah. So so you've got a you've got a tribe um, who have not had any contact with anyone at all ever. All of their history, all of their um, cultural knowledge is based around their own tribe. And suddenly they see different people and they're suddenly, wow, what are these? It's like aliens or something. <laughs> wow, especially wow. If, especially, well, quite, especially <laughs> if one's wearing a massive orange jacket. <laughs> I mean, may, maybe one of the warriors just thought, I want that jacket. <laughs> they thought it was all the rage in, for the first world. Actually, I've also noticed that he's wearing glasses, which means they're probably they're probably looking at that and thinking... Is this person even like a human? What are the, what's that contraption on his face? Is that part of his body? Are they are they seeing us as we see them? I, I, I don't know if I don't know if they are. Well, and the sad irony is that the man was try, one of the people trying to help their longevity and their survival and the survival of the rainforest. But at the same time, it's as you say, Bolsonaro is causing things to change quite extremely and quite fast. And that's very sad. And it's um, potentially affecting the future of our children and future generations as well. 
Yeah, think of the children and the children's children and the children's <laughs> children's children and the children's children. Shall I just carry on till we finish up the whole podcast just saying children, 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 children? Mm. Um, no, but you're right. They're, 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 I mean, you know, irrespective of the politics of this, um, it's just a very sad... That he just, I mean, the tragedy here, of course, and we have, you know, possibly been a little, little bit flippant, but the tragedy, of course, is that he is trying to help these indigenous tribes people and he pay you know he he actually ended up making if you like the supreme sacrifice here very he sad. just sort of repeated what i said because you wanted to be the one to close that one but you're not going th- to be because when i heard about this story one of the people who told me about the story actually it's it's been told to me by a couple of people for flagged up for the podcast so thank you very much for that i googled explorer shot by you know tribe or something related to that how many of them have been sacrificed to this cause it's quite a common thing to happen. It's oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, nobody said being an explorer wasn't risky. The next, I don't think he was trying to do that. I mean, you know, he's connected to the government's indigenous affairs agency. <laughs> I bet there's a lot that's, of that that's in Brazil. Fun, I. No, no, this, this is it. I mean, he he founded this NGO intended to protect indigenous peoples and to protect these tribes from. I mean, I think one of the problems is that when tribes do encounter the outside world. Um, first of all, there's a serious danger, I think, of illness because they may be exposed to germs, <laughs> possibly even coronavirus, that they, they haven't been exposed to before. I mean, that's why a lot of when European settlers arrived in the Americas in the sort of um, 15th and 16th centuries, lots of indigenous people just died of diseases that were brought by the invaders. Um, and the other thing is, I mean, their culture can just be completely destroyed and just completely overwhelmed and overtaken. So I think that's, that's what he was there trying to do. um, A lot of parallels in what we're talking about to where Richard's going to go in a moment. Yes, that's that's actually a really good point. I hadn't thought about that. You're right, yes. So I've split it into two parts, and the part which I'm going to play in the next episode talks about world politics and the threat to people's cultures, to people's existence, by persecution, for example, where we're going now, and by the development of the far right. It was quite an interesting turn to the interview, which I know some of our friends who have an interest in politics will really enjoy, which is why I did a little teaser. But for now, we're going to focus Richard Phillips, formerly of the advertising world, and um, now an author, and in fact studying, looking into his own genealogy and after you hear the interview we'll come back and talk about the genealogist who is doing the work for him who I've heard from since so all very interesting really Richard welcome to the YDLMF podcast thank you for joining us Uh, you're welcome I've been told to introduce you as a semi-aware pension I mean (laughs) no I'm happy to be a pensioner because I get something for it that's good. Being a pensioner. Why should you not be happy to be a pensioner? You're, you know, you're actually getting something back for the ridiculous amounts of money you've already put in. Anybody, we're all pleased to get the check. Believe me. You are. Mm, you're very big in the world of advertising. Very. No, I'm not. You are. You've done some amazing I'm things. An, no, I'm, a, I'm an ancient figure, of an ancient person who once got lucky and a couple of people in a, the tiny bubble in which we worked knew who I was but that's about the size of it really it is and I'm not that's not a believe me I'm not given to false modesty that is the truth of it uh, it's a tiny little world in which people uh, think they're terribly important until you realize when you leap when when you're sort of slung out of the world because you're too old that actually nobody else knows what the hell is going on and doesn't care that's, that's not what people who invite you to talk about the world of advertising think that's, that was then, this is now. That's a long time ago. I'm now fully involved in avoiding all work. You two have something in common. You're both authors. Yay. Well, we're both balls as well. And both have, yeah. <laughs> we've got lots in common. We have. The reason why you're here yeah. is that I asked you, not yeah. only because you're a personality. Oh, massive. Or two. You. But also because you've got a murder story, an execution story to tell about your past. I have. There's quite a lot of criminal activity in my family, actually. Well, mine. I actually, uh, in an earlier life, worked for Marks and Spencer in St Albans and once apprehended a man for stealing a pork pie. And he, uh, I, I went outside and said, excuse me, would you mind coming back inside, which is what he was supposed to do. And he said, would you like six inches of cold steel in you? 
And I decided at that point that it probably wasn't worth pursuing. So I then spent the rest of the afternoon touring St Albans in a panda car, looking for him, which we, whom we didn't find, I was pleased to say. And uh, it was a marvellous day in my life because I got an afternoon off. That's Did you that. find nothing but the pork pie wrapper cast aside? I can't really explain to you. I love being snicking shoplifters. I just loved it. It's the most fun you could have, lurking behind a pillar and then leaping out and then following them out of the door and saying, would you mind accompanying me back into the store, sir, madam? And, and uh, it's just fabulous. I, always, I mean, honestly, I'd have been a great parking warden or possibly concentration camp guard. I, any of those things I could have done. <laughs> I can't believe you didn't tell me about this when I asked you oh, what crimes you'd like that, to talk that about. That's a minor thing. The actual, um, the actual uh, event, which I did tell you about, is the fact it, it come, came about because I have a distant ancestor or who um, was actually executed in 1731 in Barcelona. Not Barcelona, I'm sorry, in Lisbon. Uh, and he was, um, because he was a, um, you know, in he was a Jew. And uh, in fact, just to uh, put this in some sort of context, this story was actually told pretty much in the last edition of Who Do You Think You Are, which was about Mark Wright from The Only Way is Essex. And in the course of that story, Mark Wright revealed that he had had a great-grandfather who was Jewish, or discovered that he had. And this guy then, and they went back through this, through this family history, and as it turned out, he had the same ancestors that I have. For, you know, So I'm, that's another thing. I'm, I'll explain this story, how this came about. I, I About three or four years ago, a Somebody completely unknown to my family wrote to my first cousin saying that he'd been searching his family tree and discovered that we were all related and we were descended from a guy who'd come to uh, London from Venice called Abraham Tooby uh, in about 17-something or other. And then we explored this more and we then went back to 1550. And, and you spelled his name? Well, this guy was Abraham Tubi, T-U-B-I. But in and fact... Was that, was that an original name? Because I understand a lot of people changed their name. Well, as far as we know, it was. That's what he was called. But if you went back earlier, and anyway, then this chap who'd been doing research I met, and he, in fact, had gone back to 1550. And we've got a... And, and I have got a... You know, there's a direct line back between me and 1550, and... It's from that line that these were the Sephardic Jews who were kicked out, you know, either kicked out in the Inquisition in 1492 and on, or who claimed to change their religion and didn't, or did. And anyway, that wasn't good enough. And what happened, because basically the Inquisitors didn't really care whether they changed it or you changed your religion or not. If they decided they want to execute you, they did. What country was this? Spain. Well, I mean, it began in Spain, but it also applied to Portugal. It became applied to Portugal in the and what happened was, anyway, and in the story, there is a, uh, an ancestor of mine, Miguel de Mendonca Valladolid, who was arrested in Brazil, amazingly, brought back to Lisbon and then burnt alive in Lisbon in 1731. Now, what's interesting to me, in a sense, is, was this a crime at all? Was he a criminal? Well, he was in the eyes of, obviously, the people who executed him, because presumably they weren't going to execute people who they couldn't decide, you know, agree was a criminal. But obviously, his only crime was that he had been a Jew, had then decided to convert because they had to. They were forced; it was forced conversion, and may or may not have actually truly converted and have gone on practicing as a Jew secretly, which a lot of them did. Did they not list a crime then? Well, I mean, he, basically, his crime was that he wasn't uh, that he was an. I, I don't know exactly what he was. They said he was. Hang on. What would they call it then? They would say he was a heretic. A heretic, yes, I suppose. And burnt alive, is that a usual practice at the time, do you know? Yeah, of course, yes. I mean, that's what the Inquisition was about. You know, I mean, the Inquisition was about, you know, it was it followed the uh, the Christian, um, you know, kind of taking back of Spain from the, uh, you know, from the Moors, the Muslims who'd invaded Spain and turned it into um, an Islamic country for a long time. And it followed that. And, you know, they, they converted back Christianity took over, as it were. And then, uh, and of course, Jews, who had been allowed to live in Muslim countries fairly, you know, unobtrusively and carry on, but apparently the Christians were terribly offended by it and uh, decided they ha everybody had to be a Christian at that point. And that's what happened. So he basically, he got executed. Now, whether or not, but I mean, I suppose my question to you is, is that, that does that make him a criminal? I think probably, I don't know if there is this thing in the Jewish face, but doesn't it make him a martyr? Ah, oh, that's a very, very good question. 
Uh, I don't think we have martyrs. Do think, you? No, I don't think so. I think that's a very Catholic idea, isn't it, martyr? I don't know is the answer. I've never heard the term. I mean, I, let me be clear. I'm probably the most a-religious person on the face of the earth. I'm a, you know, I regard myself as an ethnic Jew. I'm certainly not a religious one. I don't believe in anything. So I have, I've never heard the word martyr used ever in a Jewish context, but maybe it is. I don't know. I don't know if you know, you know the answer to this, Richard, or not, but I'm quite interested in what the characteristics are of Sephardic Jews compared to, you know, other Jews that, we, that I have heard of, like well, Hasidic. There are kinds of Jews. There are Sephardic... I mean, well, there are many kinds of Jews, actually, and it's, it's one of those things that's sort of split under different ways. Essentially, there are two groups of Jews, Sephardic Jews and Ashkenazi Jews. The Ashkenazi Jews, as I understand it, are the ones who basically uh, were in Russia and Eastern Europe. And the Sephardic Jews, the ones who came from Spain and uh, from North Africa. And interestingly, in sort of British, you know, in, in our amazingly class-ridden, caste-ridden society that we have here, Sephardic Jews were regarded as being very superior originally because most of the Jews who came here originally were Sephardic, uh, as in they came from Spain via Holland frequently, because that is what, or, or Portugal, because that is where what happened after the Inquisition. They were in Spain. I don't know if you've ever seen the story of the Jews by Simon Sharma from the BBC. It's absolutely brilliant series. You've never seen it. And they'd been in Spain for about a thousand years, living perfectly okay until they got turfed out. And then um, summarily in 1492, mm -hmm. I told to leave. And um, they then, were, you know, gradually they tended to leave and they were in it. Some a lot went to South America uh, and some went to, hence the Brazilian connection. And some went, you know, to Mexico, I believe, and met most, I think, to Holland and places. And from Holland, many came here. And the first synagogues here, because, of course, the British had slung them out too. Henry VIII, I think, threw them all out at one point, and they were thrown out previously before that. I'm not absolutely sure about this. And then Cromwell readmitted the Jews. They started to come back in the 1650s, and the first synagogue in London is the uh, Bevis Mark synagogue in the city, and that goes back to about 1699. And so those Jews and the people you see, for instance, Simon Seabag Montefiore, you know, the historian who does all the television programmes, he is, that's a very Sephardic name. And he, you know, it was terribly smart, you know, thought to be terribly smart if you were descended from those Jews as opposed to Ashkenazi Jews. But in fact, I think it's pretty likely that almost every Jew today will have a mixture of Sephardic in this country. Well, not every, but many will have. My family do go back quite a long way in this country, and definitely there are both Sephardic and Ashkenazi roots. Can I read to you what I found about Jewish martyrdom? Oh, yeah, go on. That's interesting. Go on. Um, Wikipedia says, martyrdom in Judaism is one of the main examples of Jews doing a Kiddush Hashem. Kiddush, yeah, yeah. A Hebrew term which means sanctification of the name. An example of this is public self-sacrifice in accordance with Jewish practice and identity, with the possibility of being killed for no other reason than being Jewish. I mean, I know that you have people, don't you, in Israel, of uh, people, whatever they're called, people like uh, Schindler, but, you know, who are, there's some term, aren't they, there, uh, and they're sort of, well, not exactly canonised, obviously, but they're remembered in some very special way because they have, you know, saved the lives of people and that kind of thing. So is that is that martyrdom? I don't know. Well, I think in terms of the crime, that sounds very... If you ask me a question as to whether your ancestor, Miguel, mm. has committed a crime for the practice of being Jewish, yeah. in modern terms, no. So it wouldn't be a crime. No. But, I mean... How do you feel? <clears throat> But that is why he was executed, because he was Jewish or was believed to yeah, be a practising Jew. Or, uh, or has, was a heretic, I suppose, which was a crime. Yeah. I mean, it, as with all things, you know, the nature of criminality depends on the sort of moral, you know, code of the moment, doesn't it? Right. You know, I mean, I mean um, it seems completely absurd today. But, you know, I often think, you know, what, what will seem absurd in, a hundred, in 50 or 100 years? Because yeah. you know that things will have moved on. I you know, often think, for instance, that in 50 years' time, I'm quite, you know, I'm pretty sure, I'd take a guess anyway, that in 50 years' time, keeping pets will be completely unacceptable. It's completely unacceptable now, if you ask me. It no. depends where you keep the pet. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> true, I suppose. I found my hamster this morning. <laughs> You're into this now. 
yeah, you know what I mean. They're all cut flowers. I'm sure people would have decided, you know, having cut flowers is a bad thing. Well, you know? in Japan, it's bad feng shui. Is it? Yeah, when they go a bit droopy, it's really, you've got to get rid of them before that, because otherwise it means terrible things for your house. You say feng Feng shui. I don't. I say feng shui. I say that it is it is proof to me that a billion Chinese can be wrong. That is that is the thing I feel about feng shui. You know. That's really a great sound bite. I mean, you know, really, the way the bed faces is going to change. And I'm going with that. So um, anyway, okay. Go. I'd like to ask you, Richard. What's, am I descended from a criminal or not? <laughs> I guess we must all have criminals in our past somewhere. It seems quite likely, but I don't think it was Miguel. Okay. Well, well, yeah, but I mean, martyr in my eyes. That's a good point. Now I can't ask you something then, because you know, Vicky claims that you're sort of intelligent, and. I, <laughs> And I would, I'm interested okay. in the answer to this question because it's something that I can't get my head around on the subject of ancestors. As I was pointing out yesterday, by the time you go back to the person that, before which this particular family line seems to run into the sand, it goes back to 1550 in my case, okay? That's about 30, it actually is 13 generations, I think. And if you go back 13 generations, you actually have four, about 4,000 great, 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 you know, grandparents to the power of 11, which makes no sense whatsoever, because what you have is that applies, must apply to absolutely everybody, okay, that we have an exponential increase in population going backwards, which we know we don't, we have, it goes the other way around. Can you explain that to me? Well, yes, because lots of those people are shared, aren't they? Yeah, but how? I mean, I, I, they must have been, but do you understand what I mean here? You know, we've yeah, got, sure. saying we've got many, many, many common ancestors on all sides of the family. That's going to be the only solution, the answer, can't it? Yeah, absolutely. That's right. I mean, the chances are, if you go far enough back, then I, mean, well, I think we all know that if we go very, very far enough back, we're all descended, aren't we, from one woman who lived on the um, the Great Rift Valley in Africa about uh, 10 or 15 million years ago or something. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, you're right. I, I suppose if you're talking about the number of people who existed, then, of course, that number is rising all the time. If you talk about the number of people you are descended from, then there is a limit to that, people who have existed in all time. Yes. Well, yeah, I mean, first of all, if we talk about you and your brother, Richard, your yeah. brother and you both have absolutely identical family trees because you have the same parents. Yeah. So that immediately cuts down by half um, one set of possibilities. So in terms of the number of human beings alive now, you two have an identical one and any other siblings would have identical ones. So that reduces the number of, of, of paths back, if you like, or pyramids oh, yeah. of lineage yeah. that you have. Yeah. Um, so that starts to reduce the numbers. And then if you think about maybe only children, again, they would reduce it because there are few, they will have fewer descendants unless they had huge families, I suppose, which they might have done. Um, and at, I think I think it just means that what happens is you end up with sort of, if you think about your own tree, what your tree looks like with you at the bottom and, and I guess your brother next to you because you have the same tree. As you go up, branches spread as you go to more and more grandparents, great-grandparents, great-great-grandparents and so on. But your tree written down on a page, if you put somebody next to you, perhaps even me or Victoria, at some point, if you go back far enough, those two trees would intersect somewhere and there'd be somebody who is a common ancestor. And yeah. I mean, you know, it, it might be there are people all around who we have common ancestors with that we don't know. These would be, I don't know, cousins 15 or 16 or 17 times removed that we yeah. just don't know. Yeah, yeah. And that's what the pattern would look like, I guess. But I'm, can I ask you something about Miguel? Because I'm really... Can I ask you about Miguel? I want to know... So he was in Brazil, or I suppose at that time, it was just part of... It was considered as part of Portugal, I guess. It was part of the greater Portuguese empire. But why, why would they feel the need to bring him from there back across the Atlantic to burn him in Lisbon? That is a very good question. And I have no idea, and I don't know the answer to that. I know somebody who may know the answer, and I'm quite happy to ask him, because the guy who has been uh, I've been talking to is the kind of chief genealogist for the Sephardic community here, and who, by the way, is distantly I've discovered about 500 generations back related to me. But um, oh, wow. uh, 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 I don't know is the answer. It does seem absolutely extraordinary. Why don't you just burn him in? Why don't you just burn him in in Rio or wherever he happened to be? 
<laughs> you know, burning up in Rio. You know, I, I wonder if I mean, well, I wonder if he was some kind of a, I don't know, a cause celebre, or he was in fact somebody who was relatively well known. He had quite a grand name with the whole Mendonska de Valladolid bit. Well, maybe I don't and I wonder whether they felt they needed to make an example of him. So it yeah. was like, you know, he was brought back. And at the time, if you'd bought the sort of the, the 15th century or 16th century Portuguese equivalent of the sun, it would have been all over the front page that they'd finally burned this terrible heretic, um, Miguel Mendonça. Oh, that's a very interesting question. And I will, I'm, I can't tell you right now, but I will, I will call, um, I'll speak to David, the guy who's Mendoza, who's doing all this, and I'll ask him. And, I wonder yeah. if being opinionated ran in the Mendonca now Phillips family tree. What? <laughs> yeah. Well, he must have been quite opinionated. No, I guess we're not. We're not. That, our family is known for its uh, for its um, general mildness of manner and you know and and, uh, <laughs> and you know, unwillingness to to ever cause any kind of um, you know, ripples in anything. I think that's highly unlikely. If he was, he was just a sort of random figure that was obviously, you know, way beyond the, you know, we would never have done. So the genealogist who's doing the work for Richard has got back to me when I asked for more details about Miguel, who was executed in 1731 in Lisbon, Portugal, because I wanted to know why such an execution would take place and was, was it specific to this person who these both the genealogist and Richard Phillips are, are related to 300 or so years ago? Are we related to this guy as well? Everybody seems to be related to him. Oh, don't try and get in on the act. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you've got some reprobates of your own. Oh, that's true. He was extremely religious, and that was the main reason that he was specifically targeted. But as you've told me, that in the Inquisition, people were being burnt alive left, right and centre, and it was standard practice for heretics to have been treated in this way. But um, Miguel, he went to Brazil and traded and travelled and got married, had a family, and that was near Sao Paulo. He was the son of a Jewish missionary teaching Jewish prayers So there was his religious involvement, and as I understand, they wanted them to convert, but it didn't really seem like it would ever end there because he was tortured and then denounced because of the admittance under torture. That's what denounced him? uh, By a cousin, apparently. Oh, cousin of the year. Hey, cuz, thanks for (laughs) denouncing me. Exactly. God, what a total shit that cousin was. I want to hear more about the cousin. So they didn't have an inquisition. We were wondering, weren't we, Ben, why this man would have been taken back all the way from Sao Paulo to Lisbon. Um, but apparently there was no Inquisition tribunal, which sounds like a fair setup, doesn't it, in Brazil. So that's why he went to Lisbon, because that was standard practice. Um, but he does seem to have been, and in the genealogist's words, a bit of a fanatic. So that was what I wanted to know. Was I wanted to know whether Richard's ancestor was earmarked for a specific reason or whether it was just they just randomly picked people because of their faith. Mm. When they say Miguel was a bit of a fanatic, what mm. kind of what he was a fanatic Judaist or something? Yes, and but he was a first offender, and apparently the Catholic Church then said he could have been reconciled, but then they condemned him to death because of his obstinacy and even under torture. His obstinacy, <laughs> oh, brilliant! He didn't even relent under torture so what comes out of that for me was that this was an extremely you know he was he was utterly faithful till the last um and in that sense i suppose the way i would see him is is somebody who is a a martyr but we were talking about the ways that people were put to death and you were telling me it was standard practice weren't you when i googled was it standard practice to burn heretics I got a whole raft of information. I'll just close down my standard practice to burn heretics. Are you saying that heretics could? I mean, did did heretics get the chance to decide how they would die? I doubt that was the that was the luxury that they had. Oh, seems a bit harsh. What did I Google? Why were heretics burnt at the stake? And then it went on to because you started talking about witches, didn't you? Because um, high treason was a whole different ball game. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but I mean, heresy is specifically, um, n- you know, speaking out or denouncing or not believing in God. And at that time, the church was all powerful. 
Yeah. I don't actually think blasphemy or heresy is even a crime now. In fact, the only recent time that being, you know, you've been killed for your religious beliefs has been if you were unlucky enough to live in the Islamic State, as it was for a while. Can I just say that it went on to this um, description of treason. Google told me that uh, men who were convicted of high treason were hanged, drawn and quartered. Another scandalous form of practice at this time. But it wasn't deemed acceptable for women. And I thought I'd I'd, I'd read something nice after that. But it's only because it would have involved nudity, not because their guts would have spilled out all over the place. And that's not very nice. (laughs) They had robust tastes in sort of like medieval England, didn't they? What's the drawn bit of the hung, drawn and quartered? So what hung, drawn and quartered is the person is sort of strung up by their neck, but it's, it's not like they're, they're strung up and then a, 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 um, a sort of the stool is kicked out so they drop and that breaks their neck and kills them. They're just hung up and left to dangle for a while and they sort of do the what was used to be called the dance where they sort of twitch and spasm as they're choking, but they'd be cut down just before they actually choked to death. Um, so they'd be still alive when um, they'd be drawn. And what that was is that a cut would be made across their, um, sort of just below their rib cage, and then their sort of entrails would be literally pulled out. They would be drawn out. And that was the drawn bit. And, of course, that usually did result in death. And the last bit was that they would be quartered, which is fairly obviously cut into four pieces. Do you really have to do that after all the other stuff's gone on? Well, I suppose it does teach a lesson, doesn't it? And I suppose it's the old um, pour encourager les autres. The whole point of it was not particularly to... I mean, yeah, in part it was to give the um, the accused um, a particularly gruesome and grisly end, but it was also to serve as a warning to everybody watching. If you um, commit treason, this is what is happening, going to happen to you. Because, I mean, if you think about medieval um, kings... Um, or warlords or whatever, you know, the one thing they were most terrified of was there would be somebody else who would be tougher than them who would come and depose them. And so retaining power, holding on to power, was the thing that you wanted to do more than anything so you would ensure that anybody who threatened that would meet the most grisly end possible as a punishment for them, as an encouragement for others or a discouragement. Well, I get that. And what I did when you were describing that was a death face... (laughs) <laughs> I did, did a death, a death face. face, I really did And that leads me on nicely to Glamorous News Ladies Thank you very much for sending in What death face prompted you to think of The woman Oh, it's coming amongst my many open tabs The mystery of the world's most kissed woman This article is so interesting And thank you, Janae Say it, Ben Janae Janae it's not just the world's most kissed woman, it's... My favourite line in that film, if you don't mind me saying, is uh, when Forrest is talking about Jenny, he says, she taught me how to climb, I taught her how to dangle, and he's just hanging from a tree. <laughs> <laughs> she um, taught her how to dangle. Anyway, it's the woman. So when I called it a death mask, as you said a few podcasts ago, you said that you didn't like wearing your mask because people couldn't convey emotion. And then it led us to talk about people having their heads covered during execution. And then this is what it engendered in Jenny's mind. And it turns out the mystery behind the, you know, the resuscitation mannequin that if you've ever done CPR courses, you learn on. Her face was based on this resussy Anne person who was, she's a 19th century beauty who was found drowned and nobody really knows much about her but people saw her face and thought it was such a sort of serene almost sort of Mona Lisa-esque expression that it just captured people's imagination and then they ended up making this CPR dummy out of her amazing it's really really cool so she became known as L'Enconnue which means the unknown because she her body was recovered as you said from the Seine and As was customary at that time, if they had an unidentified body, they would actually um, place it so people could see it. And in case anybody recognised this person, they would identify them. But apparently this face of this woman with its kind of very serene look and and almost half smile, um, 
enchanted people in such a way that it she became kind of I don't want to say a celebrity as such, but it became something that was iconic. A mystery. She was a mystery, a mystery wasn't yeah, she? Mystery. Because they also didn't know. There's such an interesting article which took me a little while of pondering because they didn't know whether that was the smile. Because usually they say that people who are drowned are quite puffy and their expressions are really quite you know contorted. But she had the look as if you know she might even sort of wait, her eyes might pop open at any moment. So, yeah, she's the inconnu. Do you know what, Ben? I think, can yeah. we can we possibly leave the bad debt murder story till the next one, because we're running yeah, out of, of time? Can. Yeah, sure. So, um, I'm really excited about this. So, um, people will know that um, ITV has been running a drama based on the murders committed by Dennis Nielsen, who was convicted, I think, of murdering six young men, but is believed or confessed to murdering as many as 15 in the sort of late 70s and early 1980s. Now, the, the reason I, I think we, we're, we're going to talk about this is just to sort of say what we thought of the programme, but also because I, the, the maker, it was starred David Tennant, who obviously is a very well-known actor, and the makers of the programme were faced with this dilemma, which is if you're going to make a programme about some a historical character, um, OK, Nilsson is still alive, is dead, but of course many of his victims' family members will still be alive, and although it all happened, he was arrested in 1983, and this happened in the late 70s, early 80s, it will still, I'm sure, be very fresh for them. How do you make a drama about someone so awful? And managed to avoid it celebrating them in some way or glorifying them and I think that was what was interesting about this what did you think what whether it glorified him well just about the whole thing I mean let's just take it sort of stage by stage oh, what did I think about the whole thing I thought it was well, brilliant that... okay. sorry I don't understand what your question is well no I mean we're reviewing it aren't we <laughs> two, so I'm interested in your people view on the, slightly on the autistic <laughs> spectrum trying to work out when it's their turn to talk and what the questions are professing to be from a professional journalistic background I thought that um that hashtag Des did you check out Twitter last night Ben no I didn't should I? When Des was trending, things like, well, th- this is um, what uh, David Tennant playing Dennis Nilsson came out with. Well, we've all got skeletons in our closets, haven't we? <laughs> we really did have skeletons in his closet. And he was pretending his was KFC. And a, he- and a, and a head in a pan on the, uh, the hob as well. Really? Dennis Nielsen, I've got to say, I will credit, is that a weird word? That's glorifying him a bit. But he really started kind of sucking me into the world of serial killing. And I started reading some really rubbish biography of his, which I couldn't be in the same room as when I was about 11. Because I read the first few lines of it and then got so scared that I had to put the book in another room. (laughs) Not in a closet. (laughs) I put myself in the closet after that. But yeah, no, really well done. David Tennant is receiving acclaim from every single critic in, in the UK. But I do think that people are interested. I'm a true crimer. Come on, all of us listening to this know why we want to watch stuff. So we're all getting our, our hunger slightly fed by this, aren't we? In, in a kind of who done it? Why done it? Sorry, why done it? A wide, well, it's, it is a why done it actually because we know who done it. He done it. Um, I think <laughs> exactly. what's interesting. Well, I think what's interesting is first of all the story opens with the discovery of human remains that blocked the drains, which is why he was caught in the first place. The only account of what actually happened to the young men who were killed is from Nielsen himself. Um, I loved little details. I so, for example, when in the very first scene when the when the sort of the detective in charge of the case is called to this Cranley Gardens where these um, remains have been found blocking this drain, and the, uh, the the guy's got a dino rod overalls on, and everybody remembers dino rod. I, they probably I don't know if they still exist. They probably do, but um, and it's it's little things like the, the detective's wearing a proper sheepskin collared car coat. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I did really enjoy the sort of the period details as well. I the know. thing opened as and well. And also with, the um, fact that, well, it's my stomping ground, really, London, so it's nice to um, fit the guy to the place. Yeah, where... but you were hardly stomping around London in 1983. What were you, about eight or something? I was actually stomping at that point. <laughs> I started the Mitzi stomp by that point. But, I mean, my point is is that I know these places. I know Soho. I know where he was and what he, how he was doing it. 
ho he ho did ho you know so it sort of it captures my interest for that reason also in a sense of why done it that it's every true crime fan's motivation to try mm. to put that together and he was professing that there was none that's what I find so interesting. And they, yeah. they put this across very well in Des. And we didn't say why it's called Des. It's that he liked to be called that. And he um, told people to stop calling him Dennis and to call, call him Des. Des. Yeah. I thought, I mean, the, the, the point you make about the why done it is very good. And I thought the best line, certainly in the first episode, was where they said, why did you do it? And he said, well, I was rather hoping you could tell me that. <laughs> He's very annoying. I think, okay, and the other thing that comes out of this... annoying. That's what his victim said. Oh, you're really annoying me, Dennis, as you strangle me to death. (laughs) I think it's probably... Did I call you Dennis? (laughs) Maybe that's why. Yeah, probably that's why. They they, they called him Dennis. That was it. He snapped. There are two factors in this. One of them is the vulnerable people, and that's come across in many of these killers that we've been speaking about. They prey on the vulnerable, maybe the elderly, or, you know, in grooming cases, for example, the children in society who are clearly just vulnerable because of their status as children. And this guy picked on homeless people, you know, and there was a lot of alcohol and drugs involved. You might call it the margins of society. There were people who other people weren't really very interested in. So, as you said, homeless people or drug addicts, the kind of people, I suppose, who he he figured wouldn't be missed. Yep, and they indeed weren't because the police did come knocking on his door and he dismissed an attempted murder as a lover's tiff and they went away. So um, I think it um, will appear next Tuesday on your screens on ITV and if we haven't plugged it enough for you. um, I'd like to thank our friend of the show, Big Bear, for flagging that one up to me so I could flag it up to Ando. And actually, my friend Neil flagged it up to me as well. So we've had it it separately flagged on this case. Wow. And the other thing that that Big Bear... uh, What did I say? He's the best bear in the world or something the other day. Um, God... Oh, I love him. Because he also said that you must have been jealous because I've changed our little Twitter thing to my face. And you were! (laughs) I sent you a similar thing of my face. I noticed you haven't used it. You're so predictable. Mine was actually more realistic than yours. Yours doesn't look that much like you. It doesn't look that much like like me. But it's a girl. You're a bit of a bear yourself, as I keep saying, with your beard and your muscly photos down the gym. (laughs) I've been Uh, loving going to the gym with Josie. It's been brilliant. I know. Everybody's been inflicted with the pictures. (laughs) <laughs> oh, look so good. No, no. Well, I, if I didn't follow you, I wouldn't follow anyone because I don't like all that stuff. But maybe I'll grow <laughs> to like it. Who knows? <laughs> and the other thing that I was going to say was slippery. Nilsson is a slippery customer, and he wanted to. He, is a slippery he wanted customer. to fuck with people seriously, yeah. didn't he? Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that's really what I think that you know because he asks about one of the articles as well, saying, "Have I mm-hmm. been on? Have I been in the press?" What does it say? And he's saying, oh, I don't want all these, you know, it wasn't for greed, it wasn't for sex, it wasn't for lust. But I just think he had a lust for self-furthering because this poxy little man who felt it was okay to take people's lives then starts banging on about, he, you know, protecting his victims. That was what Twitter picked up on as well, protecting his victims' decency and stuff like that. He was... Yeah, um, he wanted to wash them and bathe them. I mean, the thing is, what it was all about, it was all about control as far as I can see. As, as so many of these things are, he wanted to control his environment. That, that, that extended to... The, the, the original killing, he controlled the end of life, and it was the, also the way that he would keep the bodies under the floorboard, get them out, sit them in an armchair, and then, you know, only bury them, actually. He said when when he, the smell got too bad, and he realised the smell was too bad, and then he would dismember them, but he only dismembered them to dispose of them. He would keep them intact and sort of keep them enclosed and, I say, sit them in the armchairs to watch TV with him, all about completely controlling another another person, another human being. <laughs> some may say you might be able to do that while people are still alive. Yeah, some may say you might. <laughs> Don't ask my friends. <laughs> <laughs> Don't ask my children. <laughs> um, right, so that's another one for another week. Yeah. A few things to say. We're going to collaborate with some interesting people in a special. Yeah, we are. We're doing a special, absolutely. Really and... excited about that. I'm very excited. Don't know how we're going to make it work with dangly mics and scratchings, but we will... You'll make it work. You'll be brilliant. You know, you always are. Oh, my God, it's causing me a headache already, but I can't wait to talk to these people. They're uh, massive podcasters, so we are going to be hobnobbing with the uh, with the best. It's going so... to be a podcast de tutti podcasty. <laughs> it's going to be the creme de la creamy. <laughs> the topper most of the podcaster most. 
<laughs> top of the pods i love that one but, uh, don't forget to look at our podcast radio interview that you can type in to all good search engines podcast radio because um we are being featured by them and then we can find out where we're climbing to in their chart so that's really exciting yeah. um, and if you want to contact us you can email us on uh, ydlmfpodcast at gmail.com we're on twitter at ydlmfpodcast you can interact with us however you want to or you can have a look at pictures and things that we've referred to in the programme on Twitter. As ever, yes. thank you for listening. We appreciate every single one of you and we don't know so much about where you are, what you're doing, what you like, unless you talk to us. So do it via Twitter as well. We don't mind. Come and have a look at some of the other abuse that we get when you, if, you want to, <laughs> if you want to join in on Twitter. We deserve um, it. At YDLMF Podcast. You deserve it. You definitely deserve it. More Richard next week. Thank yeah. you. Why am I getting on with being professional while you're just kind of cussing me <laughs> in the background? I'm insulting you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.